perfectly simple. The gospel is, God's done it, get on with it. Well, not even get on with it. God's done it, just be who you are. You are perfect in Christ, says Paul, again and again and again and again and again. You are in Christ. God has done it. He has rescued you. Right now we are seated with him in the heavenly realms. Jesus, the ultimate authority, is in absolute reigning over everything and we are there with him. We are people who were dead but who are alive. Isn't that incredible? And Paul has has, uh, spoken all about what God has done. How God before time chose us and acted to, to deliver us because of his great love. Because he wanted to show how wonderful he is. And last week Paul at the end of chapter 1 was speaking about what God has done in Jesus Christ. Just have a listen to this. Verse 19 of chapter 1. He says, I want you guys to know who God is. I want you to know uh, also the power of God. The power for us who believe Him. The same mighty power that did what? That raised Christ from the dead. Seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And now He is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made Him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is His body. It's made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with Himself. Paul says last week in the end of chapter 1 everything what God has done, but God has shown his power by raising Jesus from the dead. Jesus who really died and really was raised to life and really was exalted to a position of absolute authority. And what Paul does now in chapter 2, he says, that was Jesus, but guess what? It's you! Because you are in Christ. You are in Christ. I mean, God showed his power by raising Jesus and exalting Jesus, but he also shows his power by exalting us and raising us with Christ, in Christ, setting us free from slavery to death and evil. We were involved with what happened to Jesus. We were there, literally, by the Spirit. We are joined as one unity Don't ask me how it works because it's a spiritual thing and it's an eternal thing and God's eternal and we're not. Point is, the eternal God linked us to the historical events that really happened. We literally died. And I know these days if you say literally, you actually mean figuratively. When I say literally, I mean literally We literally spiritually died. We literally spiritually rose to life with Jesus. That's why we do baptism, because it's a symbol of what literally actually happened. And this is all about God. There's quite a long uh, chapter here, or chapter, ten verses. But it might interest you to know that in the original Greek verb, the doing words, there is no verb until verse 5. There is no doing until verse 5, and that's probably not strange because the first half of it is all about dead people. And dead people don't do much. And then you get in verse 5, we have, but God. But God. Chapter 2, verse, well, verse 4 says, but God. But in verse 5, though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. God raised, 
God gave us life. He made us alive with Christ. And I, I love the fact that the very first doing word is God's doing. He made us alive with Christ. Now if you've read your bulletin, um, as uh, Fran has, you will know that today the first half of the message is about zombies. Now I don't know if, just hands up, who watches zombie movies? Anyone? Never? Hand up at the back over there? Shy lady who's not putting her hand up very high because she thinks people will judge her? Well, guess what? Paul talks about zombies. And it's not even like those weird uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies novels that you can get where they just insert zombies into the storyline, somehow make it work. I don't know. I haven't bothered reading them. But Paul is speaking about zombies. And I hate to break it to you, but our planet has a zombie problem. You guys, you don't watch zombie movies. Do you know what zombies are? What are zombies, Leonora? Dead people that are walking. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly it. And what Paul says, chapter 2, verse 1, Once upon a time, we were dead in sin and transgressions. Spiritually dead, uh, uh, living a life that is not worth living. I mean, if life is from God, if, if life is lived in relation with God, relationship with God, if God is life and we only live because God gives us life, then life apart from God is not life. Does that make sense? If God is life and you're not with God, then you cannot be life because you, you're not with life. So you m must be dead. That sounds very Monty Python, my voice at the end there. Calling people dead isn't just a figure of speech. Paul is literally, there it is again, saying, you were dead. It's spiritual fact. If you think about it, dead people, they can't see. We were dead. We couldn't see the glorious nature of who Jesus is. We couldn't hear God speaking to us. We couldn't love God. We couldn't experience his love. I've yet to go to a funeral where the person says, Hi. Uh, they say, what is the one thing you want people to say about you at your funeral? And uh, the best thing to say is, I think I see him moving. Why do we laugh? Because it's stupid. And it's painful and it's horrible because death is that. It's, it's not pleasant. We weren't made to die, but says Paul, our physical death is just a... It comes about because actually we are dead and we just don't know it. It says, Paul, we were as unresponsive to God as a corpse is unresponsive to us. Because we were corpses. It's complicated because we were also zombies. We were dead 
but we were walking around. And we looked like we were alive. And there's many, many people at the moment who are dead, but who look like they are alive. Paul says, no, they, we, once upon a time we were dead in our sins and transgressions. Dead because of our disobedience and our many sins is another way to put it. Sin is, is choosing our own way. It's, it's leaving God out of the picture. Just flick over in your Bibles just very quickly to uh, Romans chapter 14 verse 23. And it says over there, if... Uh, if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, the context there, whether you should eat, whether you shouldn't eat, rituals and things like that. If you have any doubts, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it, for you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. If you do what, what isn't right, you're sinning. If it's not of faith, if you don't trust uh, that it is right, if you have no conviction and no conscience that it is right, you are sinning. If, if you don't know that this is what God wants you to do and you think, actually, I think God doesn't want me to do it, it's sin. Any time that we leave God out of the picture, there is sin. And, and God is holy and God stands in opposition against all sin. Uh, God is good. If, if he accepted sin, he wouldn't be God. And he wouldn't be good. I don't want a God who will overlook sin. I don't want a God who says, don't take revenge. Revenge is mine and I don't ever take it. I don't want that God. That's not a good God. Well, who cares if I want that God or not? That's just not who God says he is. Sin cuts us off from God. It distorts our relationship with him. It distorts our relationship with each other. And ever since Adam first, Adam and Eve first decided to be wise apart from God, we have, we, we've done the same thing. They were our representatives and we follow in their footsteps. And, and since that day, sin, this living life apart from God, being insensible to God, being zombies, that is what has defined us. We are geared to, to certain, you know, certain desires and certain things that we want. If, I, don't, I don't watch zombie movies, but the one thing I know, and I'm sure you know, what do zombies do? Brains. I have played Plants vs. Zombies, for those of you that know the game. And they go like this. I don't know why they go for vegetables. Brains. They have desire. Sorry, nobody knows that game, do they? Good. <laughs> uh, zombies in the popular literature have one overriding desire, and that's to eat human brains for some reason. Some brains probably more than others. <laughs> I think they'd leave mine for last. You know, eat the good stuff first. Or maybe, maybe. Well, that's, that's, why they, that's why they come to Golden Bay last, I think. But as spiritual zombies, well, as literal zombies, if you'll excuse me using that word, we too are driven by certain desires. We try and find life in ourselves. Whatever makes me feel good, whatever gives me a, a sense of, you know, I, I, can, I can cope, I can survive with this. Whatever gives us the impression that we are alive. 
I mean, we do, we do things, and, and people in the world, why do we do things? We do things to know that we're alive. And that give us joy, and that, yes, this is good, and, and then you have the whole euthanasia debate when, when life isn't worth living, so who cares? Because it's all about enjoying yourself, and making the most of it, and eating, and drinking, and being merry, because tomorrow we die, but, you know, today we can do this. And ironically, while we do it, we, we turn our backs on the one true source of life. But, you know, we can do this. We're not even aware of the one true source of life. Now, don't get me wrong, desires are good. God made us with desires. But they can be distorted, and they can be subverted, and they can be heightened to places where they were never meant to go. And the result there is an irrational self-centeredness. The result is seeking life where there is none. Or as Jeremiah puts it, digging cisterns that are full of holes and ignoring the source of water. Paul looks at the world and he sees that everyone is held captive in this evil realm the realm of deadness, cut off from God, following temporary desires that promise forever, that promise the best and fail to deliver. Paul says that we live under another king, a way of life, a world system that is shaped by, well, not shaped by God at all, that ignores God. Paul believes, by the way, in a literal ruler. He calls him the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is, which is basically the ruler of, the, of this spiritual realm where, where we find ourselves. And you should be frightened of him. No, you shouldn't be frightened. Oh, don't be frightened, but be aware of him. You know, what... Paul stresses here and what the Bible stresses all the time is not so much Satan. Ooh. The Bible says Satan's real. Satan's out to get God. Satan's out to blind people. Satan's out to keep people in a zombie-like state where they will live and think they're alive and then die. Apart from God, alone apart from God. But the problem is not Satan. The problem is human sin. That is the root of the problem. You know, I love the fact that Paul says, yes, there is a spiritual ruler, but you know what's wonderful? Our God is stronger and greater and higher and in a position of authority. Our God is everywhere all the time because our God is the creator of all time. Satan is a being. He's a creature. He's a marvelous, majestic creature, but he is a creature. And yes, you can be majestic even though you're twisted. But... He is a creature. He's not omnipresent. And to be quite frank, Satan doesn't need to be everywhere because we ourselves are pretty good at doing evil. Once you're a zombie, you're a zombie. You're going to go and just live like a zombie. That's who you are. You're dead, even if you don't know it. Besides, yes, there's a threat from the devil, but he's playing the minor leagues. Our God has been exalted to a position above all other authorities. And yes, he's still opposed right now. 
And yes, this ruler of the kingdom of the air influences and rules and, and tries to, to, to set up a world against God. And, and, and yes, he tries to, to run and, and influence the lives of unbelievers. Not so much run, but influence. And yes, he tries it on Christians as well, but, but he is a minor league player. Especially considering the all-backer that we've got. We read chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us, oh, oh, all of us, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. This isn't about the baddies, this is about all of us. Even those who look most righteous and upright can be dead and zombies even though they don't know it themselves and even though everyone else is convinced they are fully alive. There's a great Monty Python sketch, if I may bring the tone down a little bit. Um, it's in Monty Python and the Quest for the Holy Grail. And during the Black Plague, they've got the, the people going around collecting the bodies. Bring out your dead, bring out your dead. And there's one guy who brings out his grandfather to the guy. And says, here we go, here's one. Oh, yeah, oh, that'll be eight pence, please. Hands money. I'm not dead yet. And this whole thing is about this. He's, just, he's going to die soon, so you might as well take him away now. This is what Paul's saying. In this world, we keep saying, I'm not dead yet, I'm not dead yet. But we are. And we actually are. And because of that, we are headed for an encounter with God's wrath because God is steadfastly and resolutely set against sin. He won't compromise with evil. He will condemn it. And the life that we think, that so many in our world think, is full will prove empty. Now, perhaps you're sitting there going, oh, you know, yeah, things aren't that bad, Nick. There are so many nice people. They cannot be the living dead. I have some friends who are fantastic people. Moral, upright, amazing. It's just sad that they're dead. We're so caught up in what seems to be life that we miss. That life that's on the outside is not life. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and talked to them about washing the outside of the cup. Cleaning the outside and the inside's a mess. He said to them, you are the most beautiful whitewashed tombs. You look fantastic on the outside. But inside you're dead. Zombies. That's our world. 
Now, if you know anything about zombies, and most of you don't seem to, what tends to happen is you have a living person who becomes infected and then becomes a zombie. And then they go for brains and they're just driven by this insatiable desire because I don't know why. Just because that's what zombies do. That's how they live. That's sin. Sin's come in, changed us. Why do we do it? Because that's who we are. That's, 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 that's just it. We have this external power influencing us, but it's part of us. It's our choice. It's our sin. It's our rebellion against God. But God. See, we go from the living dead to the dead living. And isn't that fantastic? But God. And, and these are, I've said it before, these are the two most important words in the Bible. That's a big call, but let's say it. But God. And you hear it time and time and time and time again. Terrible state of humanity. All the way things are. God is righteously upset. God cannot stand this because God is holy. This isn't what God intended. He made it good. But God. But God came to the living dead and made the dead alive in Christ. Showed at Calvary his hatred of the sin and his love for the sinners. Making us, verse 5, alive by joining us with Christ. Dead men don't rise. Zombies don't get better except God did it. God sent his son into this world. He wasn't a zombie. He lived the perfect life. He was without sin. And yet he took all of the gunk of us. He took all of the sin from us and he took it on himself. And we were united with him and we spiritually died with him. It's not like, it's kind of like, I don't even know if we can say that, that God took our sin. Sorry, John, I'm taking all of your sin out of you. You know, taking it away and carrying it away. No, it's like God took John and carried him up and put him in Jesus. And then Jesus died and John died with him. The dead John died. Boy, that's a... Interesting concept. The dead John died. Not just the dead John. The dead, all of us who trust him, actually died. The plague of sin was reversed. And this happened in the past. We were co-resurrected with Christ. And right now, verse 6b, we are seated with him in the heavenly realms. Because we are united with Christ Jesus. Right now our life is hidden in Christ. Our self-understanding isn't in us, but in Him. Conversion is a transition from an old identity to a new identity. Right now we don't just act because, you know, what we do. Uh, we act because, well, we, we act because Jesus is the environment that shapes us. Paul says in Galatians 2, he says, uh, it's no, I have been crucified with Christ. You see what he says there? It's not my sins have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live this dead zombie me. But Christ lives in Now, some people would look at the first bit and go, yeah, I'm not a zombie. 
Paul's having it on. Life's good. Yes, this is all I get, but, but this is life and it's fantastic. Some people might also come at the end here and go, yeah, I, I agree. There's got to be more to this life, but surely God couldn't be this good. Surely God couldn't love someone as bad as me. God knows you're bad better than you know you're bad. Want to put it in zombie terms? You've eaten brains you didn't even know you ate. We have forgotten more things that are against God's will than we have remembered. And we've done them all. And yet he loves us so much. And in his love joins us by his mercy to Christ. As I said, the eternal Holy Spirit linking us in. As Christians, our dead self is dead. And we now live in Christ, even as Christ lives in us. And we still live in this old age. We still live with sin and death and evil and Satan, a present reality. I mean, Paul speaks about what actually happened. And Paul speaks in the first three verses in terms of what was true of us. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin like, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God. You see the old, this is past tense language. But I wonder for how many of us we don't read that in terms of past tense language. How many of us come to it and go, yes, Jesus is, is I am in Christ, it's fantastic, but, but I am dead because of my disobedience. I, I am dead because of my many sins. I live in sin. I do live that way, following the, the, the sinful, uh, passionate desires and inclinations of my sinful nature, better translation, of my flesh. I am by nature subject of God's wrath. How many of us read that in the present tense and not in the past tense? Because God cannot have done that. In, God cannot just have overlooked that. God cannot just have come through and, and said there, but I made you alive because, because look, look at my life. I mean, hands up if you haven't struggled with sin this week. You haven't struggled with sin this week? No? Hands up if you haven't struggled with sin this morning. <laughs> the world still attracts and still tries to define us. And sometimes it seems to actually still define us. And we need to be aware that that's what the world wants to do. It wants to zombify us, if it even can. For Paul, faith is about being united with Jesus. 
And that's the sort of faith that changes lives, that produces good deeds. We need to be looking at our lives and going, what is it that is defining me? Do I really believe God when he says, but I've done it? Or do we, do we want to change the Bible and go, but I am? No, God says, you were. You were that. Yeah, you still struggle with that. And yeah, it's an ongoing process of sanctification. That's the second half of Ephesians. But it starts from this is now who you are. And yes, who we are results in good works that God planned long before, but that comes out of who we are. Uh, Wisby, a theologian, says, are you wearing grave clothes or are you wearing grace clothes? Are you working to be good enough or are you working to prove yourself alive or are you just living because that's who you are now? You know, if I tell you to be good, you will fail. But if I tell you to just be who you are, it's a very different ask, isn't it? Just be true to who you are. And yeah, that can be a fight. It can be a struggle, but be true to who you are. I love verse 10. We are God's masterpiece. You know, if you think about a famous work of art or a famous statue, or I suppose a statue is a work of art, you don't tend to know who the subject is. What we remember is, oh, it's a Rembrandt, or it's a Da Vinci, or it's a Van Gogh. You think in terms of the artist. If you're a Christian, you are a great masterpiece. How are you guys going? Are you, are you awake? I want to play a video. God has made us. What we were is what we were. What we are is perfect in Christ Jesus. And by His grace, God works something of that perfection to us even now. One day He will return and we will be like Jesus. We will see Him face to face. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something strange in that moment. I want us all, I know that's, that's strange. I want us all stand up. If you, if you love Jesus, if you follow Jesus, we're going to stand up and we are going to just say to the air in front of you, insert your name here, is God's masterpiece. And then we're going to turn to each other and say to someone else, just say it out loud, your name is God's masterpiece. Nicholas is God's masterpiece. Why don't we... Just turn to each other as we get the uh, musicians up and the up. Turn to each other and just tell each other. And don't just do it today. 
Remind each other, you are a masterpiece.